0: Listening to Perry Noble's thoughts on leadership, vision, and creativity. You can find Perry online at
1: perrynoble.com. hello and welcome to the May 2016 edition of the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. Woo-hoo. We are super excited to be with you guys today. We're going to cover the topic, not easily angered, or mm. you could call it coaches versus critics. So, a couple of things I want to make sure everybody out there is aware of. This September, we have our second Accelerate Your Leadership Roundtable with Perry. Uh, You can go to NewSpringNetwork.com backslash events and find out all the information you need to know about that. We are just celebrated the first one of these in May, and it was a roaring success. So get on board with this. uh, Only one more this year. Limited spots. Limited spots, 50 spots, um, September 13th and 14th. Again, the history of these things has been great. But it's a revamped new version coming out of Perry's book, uh, The Most Excellent Way to Lead. So you guys don't want to miss that. And the other thing I want to mention, Perry, we we don't mention this very often, but if you go to newspringnetwork.com, you'll find out if you're out there, if you're a church leader, we have lots and lots of online leadership coaching um, opportunities for people if they want to get plugged into that. So if if that's you, you think coaching may be your next step in your leadership, please look into newspringnetwork.com for more information on that. Anything else we need to add, Perry? No, I can't think of
0: that. That roundtable is going to be so much fun. And leadership coaching, I've done personally, I've done a lot of online leadership coaching simply because I can't get to all the places or whatever. And we all learn by different ways. But this online leadership coaching is done in a way where you can learn about leadership and you can do it right in your office or at Starbucks or wherever you want to go.
1: Yep, it's really awesome. Well, let's jump into uh, today's uh, conversation, Perry. You know, it's been so great to see the impact of your new book, your leadership book, The Most Excellent Way to Lead. Uh, And as one uh, who first heard this concept of leadership by love in one of our all-staff meetings, to seeing it take its full form in a book, I couldn't be more excited about this word, this way of leading getting out to the leaders uh, in the world. Uh, You know, you've received so much good feedback on the book as a whole, but it does seem that one chapter has garnered the most positive feedback and the most follow-up question, and and it's chapter nine. That, that, That chapter's entitled Not Easily Angered, and it's a chapter in which you talk about how to deal with criticism. You know, so many leaders who are making a positive impact. Uh, end up facing harsh criticism, and I think that's why this chapter in the book has generated so many questions. So let's just dive into to this idea: Why is it so important that a leader not be someone who is easily angered?
0: Well, Shane, I learned this the hard way, and it's and the main reason is this: emotionally unstable people cannot make great decisions. If you're emotionally unstable, eventually you'll make a decision that leads the whole organization sideways. <laughs> And so anger leads to emotional instability, and emotional instability leads to bad decision-making. That's good. And, I, and that's not something I've read in a book or saw in a magazine. That's something I learned from doing it wrong for several, several years. Yeah.
1: Uh, I don't think uh, many of us has made a good decision when we're angry. No. Um, speaking of anger, is being angry a sin?
0: No, it's not. Um, being angry is not a sin because Jesus was without sin. But he was obviously angry when he went in and cleared out the temple on more than one occasion, by the way. He was um, angry when he did that. Um, so the the key is, you know, for, for example, um, uh, when I hear about the sex slave trade, that makes me angry. I get angry when I hear about um, human trafficking. I get angry. Angry. There are things that are going to make us angry. The Bible says, um, "In your anger, do not sin." And so, I think anger is a very real emotion that we. As, and I think leaders feel it on a on a um, exponential uh, kind of weight because we we see we see things that make us angry, maybe that other people don't see.
1: That's good. Um, well, no one likes to be criticized, obviously. But how how can a leader avoid being criticized?
0: Do nothing remarkable don't stand out, don't try to do anything great, don't dream big, don't have ambitious goals, and don't try to make a difference. Be as mediocre as possible, and you will never be criticized.
1: Now, that, I uh, mean, you'd really not want not want to be criticized no, to do that, right? <laughs>
0: That's, I mean, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it really is. I mean, if you do anything <clears throat> remarkable, and it doesn't matter if it's sports, entertainment, whatever, if you do anything remarkable – you're going to be criticized. Yeah.
1: Anything, if you do anything, you're going to make some waves. And when you make waves, you rock people's boats. And yep. Some people don't like their boats rocked. Nope. Uh, well, let's talk about social media. How has social media uh, added yeah. to the level of impact of dealing with critics?
0: So, so for years, I used to hear this, and I heard this about 20 years ago, and Shane, you heard this too. Um, I, it was a phrase and I, I, I want to say Billy Graham said it first, but I'm not 100% sure. But it was a phrase that says, uh, criticisms like chewing gum. Uh, take chewing gum, chew on it. In other words, take the criticism that comes in and then spit it out. Um, now, the problem with that, I don't know if Grant, Graham, Billy Graham said it initially, but I know that he, I'm pretty sure he said it like he quoted it. But the problem with social media is it exponentially added a lot more freaking chewing gum Yeah. because think back in um when when uh, billy graham or somebody in the 60s 70s even 80s was doing something if you wanted to criticize them you had to sit down with a pen and a piece of paper you had to write a letter to the editor of the newspaper you had to sign your name you couldn't be bobble boy 486 um with an animated emoji right (laughs) and and so nobody knows who you really are it couldn't be anonymous um, it got printed in the paper, it was talked about in the barbershop for about two or three days, and then everybody forgot about it. But um Rick Warren says that communication is four things. He said um because of social media, communication is instant, global, constant, and permanent. Instant, global, constant, and permanent. So as soon as if I want to say something about you, I can say it instantly. As soon as I say it, it goes it goes all around the globe. Social media is global. There's a constant filtration of um, things coming into social media, and once you put something out there, it's out there forever. I mean, it's permanent, even if you try to erase it, some sites got it somewhere yeah. and so so because of that, the wave of criticism that was around back when the chewing gum analogy was um, issued was legit, but today, like I said, you just can't chew that much chewing gum and so so. Social media added a whole new wave, and I think, I think we're just now starting to figure out how to deal with all the criticism that social media is bringing to, not just ministry, but politicians, athletes, mm-hmm. um, musicians. I mean, I, I think we're just now. Yeah, we definitely how to deal seen
1: it. it this year in a election cycle. Oh my uh, gosh! All the politicians are using social media to criticize each other, and, and it goes both ways, right? Yep. You don't want to receive it. And get all that. But if you give it, it's also instant, constant, global, and permanent. You're stuck with it. You know, In your book, Perry, you offer a contrast between coaches and critics, which to listen to and why. So I thought uh, for our podcast today, I would just share each each of the section titles from that chapter. And then let's let you talk about uh, the things you think are important for our listeners to hear about these topics. And so anyway, the first one uh, you write about is coaches have a relationship with you. Critics hardly know you at all. So why is this important?
0: Well, I got this um, idea one day when I was at a practice um, for Clemson University. Clemson, um, right down the road. Who, by the way, Josh, played for the national championship, and I don't think Florida, I think they might have, I don't know if they even got to watch it on TV. Anyway, (laughs) hashtag pray for Josh. They were banned from viewing. Uh, Yeah, they were banned from (laughs) viewing. Go Gators. Um, Anyway, I was was at a practice several years ago, and I was watching – Um, Dabo, Sweeney, Coach Sweeney implement this practice and I remember leaving practice that day and kind of jotting these ideas down the difference between a coach and a critic Um, because Dabo and the other coaches at Clemson um, if there was a mistake on the field uh, they speak directly into it they don't they don't do the whole, hey, come here, buddy, how's your mom? And, yeah, you know, you might want to get that block because if you don't, <laughs> our quarterback's going to get broken half. Like, it's not like that. They go directly into the situation. They address it um, pretty harshly sometimes. I mean, I mean, coaches really get in there and pull out the best of their players. But the coach, the reason the players will listen to the coach is the coach – has a relationship with the players. Because I started thinking about, and I would never do this, but what if I just walked out and just got in one of the players' face and just started dressing him down and yelling at him? I would have probably got my legs broke, um, probably by the coach, not even yeah. the players. But the reason the coach that's – why, that's why the players – on saturdays in in college football that's why they won't listen to people in the stands because people in the stands know about the players the coaches know the players and so that that comes into um for me personally is i'm going to listen to people that know me um because insanity is allowing those who know you the least to define you the most and so if, if somebody has 28 Twitter followers and they're attacking you, you know, they're just it's not worth the time and the effort to engage. So for me, I want to know when I'm getting it wrong. I want to know when I'm screwing it up. I want to know when I'm making mistakes. But the people I'm going to listen to are the people that, number one, love Jesus. Number two, love the church. Number three, love me in that order. They have a relationship with me and i know they're trying to correct me out of love not out of arrogance and so that's why i think relationships so important
1: that's really good why do you think we struggle so much though with wanting to listen to the critics
0: um well part of it honestly is i've never met a leader that didn't want to try to persuade you that he or she was right right yeah, i mean yeah. that's why we're in leadership it's 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 hey i want to talk to you about i'm right um i think that's the i think it's the biggest thing and and for me Um, And I'm sure it's this way with so many leaders, whether you're church or business, when somebody attacks what you're leading, it's personal, and you want people to like it, but when somebody raises their hand and goes, hey, your baby's ugly, um, don't take it personal, I'm going to take it personal because you just called my baby ugly. So I think, I think that's why. That's
1: good. So to acknowledge, I mean, it is personal and it hurts.
0: Always. But it's about who
1: you're going to listen to. I
0: had my counselor tell me, if you ever get to a place where criticism doesn't hurt, your soul is probably damaged <laughs> to the point where it can't be repaired. Yeah,
1: that's good. You don't want to become super cold. Nope. Uh, the next section, Perry, you write about is this contrast. Coaches assume the best. Critics assume the worst. So why is this important?
0: Well, so when somebody comes after you, whether it's—usually um, it's online or, or whatever, they'll say—for example, if they come after a preacher, so-and-so preaches heresy. Well, that's a pretty big deal to accuse somebody of heresy. I mean, 100, 200, 300 years ago, they used to have to have councils to do that, and today if you got a blog, you can declare somebody a heretic. Um, but the critic will say, hey, I took this one 30-second clip that you taught— and I'm going to build a complete framework and an ideology about who you are based on this clip. But um, coaches will assume the best. So, for example, if, um, if I'm in a Clemson game and Coach Sweeney sees a lineman miss a block, he doesn't say, okay, that guy, not only did he miss a block, but he's probably gonna, he's probably a bad student. Um, he's probably gonna uh, get married one day, divorce his wife and become a raving drug addict and wind up in prison. No, 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 he's like, you, you know what? he missed a block, and you know what I think? I think he's capable of making that block. so I'm gonna step into the situation, I'm gonna coach him up. i'm gonna I'm just gonna tell him, hey, I, th- I think you that's why I recruited you. I think you got what it takes. I think you can be the best and then run the play again. That's the difference between a coach and a critic. A coach will try to correct, and a critic will try to tear down.
1: That's good. Uh, The next section, Perry, is this. Coaches correct out of love. Critics correct out of pride. So how can a leader uh, distinguish those things?
0: Well, when when somebody comes after you, and their only desire is to get you to admit that you are wrong and they are right— there is no love in that. For you for you to say, okay, I was wrong, I'm sorry, and for them to that they a lot of times they just want to gloat. And so when somebody's correcting me, if they're correcting me out of love, once again, because they know me, they know the church, they care, they care about everything and everyone involved, and they're trying to correct what I'm doing. And I've the Bible says wounds from a friend can be trusted. But but once again, I've seen so many people try to criticize. Not just in church world, but in politics, as you mentioned earlier, I've seen, and and they just want for the other. Per- they just want for the person to say, "I'm wrong, you're right," and the acknowledgement of them being right is nothing more than a um, open-handed slap in the face. It's just a desire to be more prideful.
1: So good, um, something good to remember. Next section is this: Coaches have earned respect; critics have not. Talk about that.
0: Well, so going back to the football illustration again, I think one of the things that makes me want to listen to Dabo, if I was a player, and I was not a college football player, but being in practice, one of the reasons I want to listen to Dabo is I've actually he's actually been there. He won. He was on a national championship football team, and uh, he was a walk-on. So it wasn't like this guy was a five-star recruit. He walked on and busted his rear end and earned a, I mean, earned a spot on that national championship team. So he's been there, he's done that, and because he's been there and done that and knows what it's like to sweat and bleed and cry um, in the middle of a football game, I'm going to listen to him because he's earned his stripes, um, as as opposed to the guy in the stand who's on his seventh hot dog and his you know seventeenth beer. Who's never played a down of football in his life except for Madden or um, NCAA, you know, whatever? I can't listen to that guy. And it's the same thing. If you're in church world, um, if somebody's coming, if somebody's trying to correct you and they've never done what you're doing, I I would just say that I'm going to listen a lot more to people that have actually done what I'm doing as opposed to people who have theories about what I should be doing. Um, There's a lot of people that'll criticize a pastor, that they've never been a pastor. They've never been in ministry. They've never led anything. And so because of that, it's real hard for me, um, as it is other leaders, but like, if somebody like Andy Stanley or Craig Rochelle, if they said, hey, I got, I got an issue with something you did, I'm going to listen to them because I respect those guys. I respect them greatly. And um, their leadership podcast always beats mine on on <laughs> iTunes. Awesome. So, but they're both awesome. <laughs> yeah. I would tell you to listen to Andy, Andy and Craig before you listen to me, anyway. Oh, so, my goodness,
1: yeah. But I mean, it, you want to be coached by somebody who's won in the game you're playing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So if if you've if you're a business, if you if you're an entrepreneur and you got a business, and there's somebody out there that's never started a business, but they're telling you how to start a business, I'm not going to respect that. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm sure they're a great person. I'm sure they love Jesus, and they're going to go to heaven when they die. I just don't think you should listen to people that haven't actually done what they're trying to coach you or critique, uh, critique you in.
1: Yeah, because they've never felt the weight of that
0: role. No, no. Uh,
1: the next section, Perry, you talk about this, uh, which is super important. Coaches handle things privately where critics go public. This important thing. Talk about that.
0: So one of the things that I love about— um, coach Sweeney is uh, – I've seen him do the – and I hate these, but the halftime interviews where the reporter mm-hmm. kind of pulls the code. What do you got to do? Well, we got to block better. We got to hit more. We got to catch a pass. We can't drop pass. I mean, just – I mean, what do you say as a the coach? obligatory two questions. Yeah, you got to do that. And then the coach runs in. One of the things I've never seen Dabo do, and I'm not saying he won't ever do this, but Dabo um, hasn't ever said, well – Number fifty is really, um, I mean, God. He put a brand new definition on the word "suck." And number seventy-two right. couldn't block, uh, you know, a freight train. I mean, just he, I've never seen him throw a player under the bus. But I've also been in the locker room when he walks in, and he doesn't go, "Hey guys, there might be somebody in the room." No, I've seen him go to people's locker. I saw him carry a football to a running back's locker that f- that um, fumbled one time. And he got interviewed when he didn't say, well, you know, Andre fumbled and I got to go. No, but, but he took the football to Andre and handed it to him and said, hold on to this all through the uh, halftime. Don't drop it. You know, but he did it privately. And one of the things about critics is a lot of times critics, I saw this. So I watched a really, really, really. Well, I'll just say it. It was Andy Stanley. I watched Andy Stanley do a message about a year and a half, two years ago. Um, called When Gracie Meets Truthy. You, yeah. you, oh, you yeah, saw this Oh, awesome, one. yeah. So I thought it was a great message, but I also saw a um, nationally respected leader call Andy Stanley out publicly. I saw him go to his website and attack Andy and say he's a heretical teacher and all this other stuff. But what was amazing is this guy didn't call Andy personally. He didn't try to get in touch with him personally, and I, I, know, he, I know he could have if he would wanted to. He didn't go um, through the back channels and try to have a conversation. He wanted to criticize him publicly and get all of his, um, I guess, followers um, kind of on that bandwagon as well. And I love how Andy responded by not responding, and that yeah. was pretty strong.
1: Yeah, critics love the riot mentality. They want to get people. Well, they because they want to be
0: seen as a leader, right? And so, if you can't lead a movement, lead a small tribe of people that never really accomplish anything. But you know, a, a till of the Hun, like yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: next section was coaches love you through disagreement. Critics hate you no matter what. Yeah. I love this. So uh, share with, share some insight on the distinction there.
0: Yeah. So, so a coach will sit down, talk to you about the problem, and if if there's a disagreement, they can still love you and the relationship's not um, in damage. A critic is gonna hate you no matter what you say or do. So if a critic comes after you and says, you're wrong here, and you go, you know what, I am wrong. It doesn't change their opinion about you. Now they hate you and they're better than you. And so you can't win in that relationship. And I said it before, um, arguing with people online is like peeing in the wind. Um, it feels good at first, but by the end, everything gets real messy um, and nobody really enjoyed the experience. <laughs> and so, um, but a coach will sit down. If you disagree, at the end of the disagreement, the coach still has a relationship with you. And that's the difference. The, a coach isn't going to end the relationship with you based on a disagreement, and a critic won't begin a relationship with you because they never wanted that anyway. All they wanted, some people want to settle the matter, other people just want to fight.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, and the last section in the chapter um, is this. Uh, obviously, what we've been building to is coaches should be listened to. Critics should be ignored. So talk about that.
0: So you're n- nobody ever accomplished anything great because they listened to people that cons- consistently tore them down. And um, and no monument has ever been built to a critic. Um, I, I just think that, that people that love you, and love Jesus and, and and know you enough to speak into you. Because once again, let me go back to pastors. Anybody can take a 30-second sermon clip that anybody preaches on any given Sunday and turn it into something horrible. You gotta love that person enough, you know, love always assumes the best. Um, and if somebody, if 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 somebody if a coach has an issue with you, you gotta have people, you gotta have people as a leader that you allow to speak into your life. But if a coach has an issue with you, you got to listen to them. But once again, if Bible Boy 18 does not like what you say, you've got to learn how to cut that loose, because if you let that voice consume you, it will take you off the wall and put your eyes on things that you don't need to be focused on anyway.
1: That's really good. You know, if you're a leader doing something, if you're making a difference, you will have critics so you better go get some coaches, right? Coaches aren't just going to show up in your life necessarily. No, that's a so, good chain. So, so here's my question. So how do you, how would you uh, – you can share personal examples or just some instruction to our listeners. How, how does a leader get a coach or get some coaches?
0: Well, the best coaches that you – the best coaches are the people you work with every day. So, for example, um, Dabo is a great head coach, right? But – I. Dabo listens to his assistant coaches. Like, he's got an offensive coordinator, he's got a defense coordinator, he's got an offensive line. I mean, he has meetings with these guys, and he takes their feedback in. So while Dabo is the head coach, his assistant coaches, if he does it right, they coach him. So for me, some of my best coaches are the people I work with, um, our campus pastors. I'll have a call – I had a call with a campus pastor last week, and I said, hey, how am I coming across on the campuses? Am I – um?" Am I, you know, fuzzy or whatever? And he goes, "Okay, well, this is good, but this is something you could think about." And I went, "Okay, I'm going to take that. I'm going to filter it through." He coached me. Now he he doesn't have the position as my coach, um, organizationally. But when you only allow people above you to speak into you on the org chart, you're going to limit yourself to some amazing feedback and some unbelievable coaching. And so. I listen to the guys around me. The second thing I do is I invite outside feedback. So I've got about five or six um, pastors who I will call and let them um, or ask them to speak into my life, or what do you guys think about this? Um, I've also got some outside feedback from people who are in the church but not on the staff that I'll ask them questions and kind of let them speak into me. And then the other thing I do, honestly, is I read a lot of leadership books. I read a lot of leadership blogs. I think I bought five books the other night on Amazon. That Kindle app's killing me, man. I'm just you can buy, you can just (laughs) click it, man. It's just it's crack. It's book crack. But um, but I bought so many books the other night because I'm so hungry to learn from people that are getting it done. So there are plenty of coaches out there.
1: So for the—I love that. So the people around you and reaching outside of the people around you so you get another perspective, what do you do or how do you set those coaches up, especially the people around you that are in your organization or in your church? How do you set them up to actually know that, that you want them to be a coach?
0: You ask—so this is the one of the hardest things to do in the world. It's one of the hardest things for a leader to do in the world. You ask questions, and you let them speak— and you don't try to defend your position. Um, When you can sit and listen to people articulate their position, and you don't feel like it's an attack on your position, and you don't feel like you've got to defend it, so much work can get done because there's so much mutual respect at the table. But when people try to start speaking into what you do, and you stop them, and you begin to correct them, or you begin to defend your idea, and you become argumentative, they're not going to share the truth with you anymore because they know that you don't want feedback they you just want them to rubber stamp your idea yeah and so that's one of the toughest things to do as a leader um i've I'm just now getting where I can do it pretty decent where I'm ask a question I let people explain and I keep my mouth shut while the explanation is going on. Um, that just and, and that speaks to the security of a leader. Insecurity leads to instability and instability in the leader's heart will lead to instability in the entire organization. Yep.
1: So good. Well, hey, I think I know we've covered a lot of ground pretty fast, but I want to again mention if you haven't already gotten a copy of uh, Perry's leadership book, The Most Excellent Way to Lead, do that right away. Also don't forget the the round table that's coming up in September, New Spring Network a Doc. Uh, to get all the information about that, Perry. Any final thoughts before we sign off?
0: No, just you know, I know there's people out there, and they one of the top questions always asking me is how do you deal with criticism? And um, the the answer is you don't. You don't deal with it. You let you listen to the coaches, and you let God deal with the critics. That's the best way to deal with it. That's good.
1: All right. Well, that's great. Uh, we'll see you guys next month.